Chapter 14 of Helping Himself, or Grant Thornton's Ambition. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ed Humpel. Helping Himself, or Grant Thornton's Ambition, by Horatio Alger, Jr. Chapter 14. Willis Ford's New Friends. When Harry Decker left the office at the end of two weeks, Grant was fully able to take his place, having, with Harry's friendly assistance, completely mastered the usual routine of a broker's office. He had also learned the names and offices of prominent operators, and was, in all respects, qualified to be of service to his employer. Mr. Reynolds always treated him with friendly consideration, and appeared to have perfect confidence in him. For some reason which he could not understand, however, Willis Ford was far from cordial, often addressing him in a fault-finding tone, which at first disturbed Grant. When he found that it arose from Ford's dislike, he ceased to trouble himself about it, though it annoyed him. He had discovered Ford's relationship to Mrs. Estabrook, who treated him in the same cool manner. "'As it appears I can't please them,' Grant said to himself, "'I won't make any special effort to do so.' He contented himself with doing his work faithfully, and so satisfying his own conscience. One evening, some weeks later, Grant was returning from a concert, to which the broker had given him a ticket, when, to his great surprise, he met Willis Ford walking with Tom Calder and Jim Morrison. The three were apparently on intimate terms. "'Good evening, Grant,' said Tom. "'Good evening, Tom.' Grant looked at Willis Ford, but the latter's lip curled and he did not speak. Grant, however, bowed and passed on. He was surprised at the intimacy which had grown up between Ford and these two, knowing Ford's spirit of exclusiveness. He would have been less surprised had he known that Morrison had first ingratiated himself with Ford by offering to lend him money, and afterward had lured him into a gambling-house, where Ford, not knowing that he was a dupe, had been induced to play, and was now a loser to the extent of several hundred dollars, for which Morrison held his notes. "'I don't know when I can pay you,' said Ford gloomily, when he came to realize his situation. "'Oh, something will turn up,' said Jim Morrison lightly. "'I shan't trouble you.' Two weeks later, however, he lay in wait for Ford when he left Wall Street. "'I want to speak to you a moment, Mr. Ford,' he said. "'Well, what is it?' asked Ford uncomfortably. "'I am hard up.' "'So am I,' responded Willis Ford. "'But you owe me a matter of six hundred dollars.' I know it, but you said you wouldn't trouble me. I didn't expect I should be obliged to, said Morrison smoothly. But circumstances alter cases, you know. I shall have to ask you for it. That's all the good it will do, said Willis irritably. I haven't a cent to my name. When do you expect to have? Heaven knows I don't. Ford was about to leave his companion and walk away, but Morrison had no intention of allowing the matter to end so. He laid his hand on Fred's shoulder and said firmly, Mr. Ford, this won't do. Yours is a debt of honor and must be paid. Will you be kind enough to let me know how it is to be paid? demanded Ford, with an ugly sneer. That is your business, not mine, Mr. Ford. Then if it is my business, I'll give you notice when I can pay you, and now good afternoon. He made another attempt to walk away, but again there was a hand placed on his shoulder. 
"'Understand, Mr. Ford, that I am in earnest,' said Morrison. "'I can't undertake to tell you how you are to find the money, but it must be found.' "'Suppose it isn't,' said Ford, with a look of defiance. "'Then I shall seek an interview with your respected employer, tell him of the debt and how it was incurred, and I think he should look for another clerk.' "'You wouldn't do that,' said Ford, his face betraying consternation. "'I would, and I will, unless you pay what you owe me.' "'But, man, how am I to do it? You will drive me to desperation.' "'Take three days to think of it. If you can't raise it, I may suggest a way.' The two parted, and Willis Ford was left to many uncomfortable reflections. He knew of no way to raise the money. Yet if he did not do it, he was menaced with exposure and ruin. Would his stepmother come to his assistance? He knew that Mrs. Estabrook had a thousand dollars in government bonds. If he could only induce her to give him the custody of them on any pretext, he could meet the demand upon him, and he would never again incur a debt of honor. He cursed his folly for ever yielding to the temptation. Once let him get out of this scrape, and he would never get into another like it. The next evening he made a call on Mrs. Estabrook, and made himself unusually agreeable. The cold-hearted woman, whose heart warmed to him alone, smiled upon him with affection. "'I am glad to see you in such good spirits, Willis,' she said. If she only knew how I really felt, thought her stepson. But it was for his interest to wear a mask. "'The fact is, mother,' he said, "'I feel very cheerful.' i've made a little turn in the stocks and realized three hundred dollars have you indeed willis i congratulate you my son no doubt you will find the money useful no doubt of that if i had the capital i could make a good deal more but there would be the danger of losing suggested mrs estabrook the danger is very small mother i am in a situation to know all about the course of stocks I wouldn't advise another to speculate, unless he has some friend in the stock exchange, but for me it is perfectly safe. Pray be careful, Willis. Oh, yes, I am sure to be. By the way, mother, haven't you got some money in government bonds? A little, answered Mrs. Estabrook cautiously. How much now? About a thousand dollars. Let me manage it for you, and I will make two thousand inside of a month. Mrs. Estabrook had a large share of acquisitiveness, but she also had a large measure of caution, which she had inherited from her Scotch ancestry. "'No, Willis,' she said, shaking her head, "'I can't take the risk. This money has taken me years to save. It is the sole dependence I have for my old age, and I can't run the risk of losing it.' "'But two thousand dollars will be better than one, mother. Just let me tell you what happened to a customer of ours.' He had above $500 in the savings bank, drawing 4% interest, only $20 a year. He had a friend in the stock exchange who took care of it, bought stocks judiciously on a margin, then reinvested, and now, after three months, how much do you think it amounts to? How much? asked the housekeeper, with interest. $6,500, just 13 times as much, answered Willis glibly. This story, by the way, was all a fabrication, intended to influence his stepmother. Mrs. Estabrook never doubted Ford's statement, but her instinctive caution saved her from falling into the trap. "'It looks tempting, Willis,' she said, "'but I, I don't dare take the risk.' Ford was deeply disappointed, but did not betray it. 
"'It is for you to decide,' said he, carelessly, then drifted to other subjects. Ten minutes later he pressed his hand upon his breast, while his features worked convulsively. "'I believe I am sick,' he said. "'What can I do for you, my dear son?' asked the housekeeper in alarm. "'If you have a gl glass of brandy,' gasped Willis. "'I will go downstairs and get some,' she said hurriedly. No sooner had she left the room than Willis sprang to his feet, locked the door, then went to the bureau, unlocked the upper drawer, he had a key in his pocket which fitted the lock, and, thrusting in his hand, drew out a long envelope containing one $500 government bond and five bonds of $100 each, which he thrust into his side pocket. Then, closing the drawer, he unlocked the door of the room, and when his stepmother returned he threw himself back in the chair, groaning. He took the glass of brandy the housekeeper brought him, and, after a few minutes, professing himself much better, left the house. "'Saved!' he exclaimed triumphantly. "'Now I shall be all right again.'" End of chapter 14